Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always is Vince. We are still Zachless, but we are on the horizon. Zach will be back before the end of June for sure, so uh get those get those pitchforks ready for his bad takes when he returns. He's but, he's never coming back. He's his mind is in the world of Kingdom Hearts right now. He's gone and and ne- and he'll never be back. And we just need to accept it. I mean, to be fair, I feel like his mind was always in the world of Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yeah, but some of the sicko stuff that he's posting right now. <laughs> oh. Well, he'll be he'll be back soon to to bring his sicko twisted thoughts to our little show. So, <laughs> but until then, let's talk about Batman number one hundred and nine, written by James Tynion in the fourth, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. So, Vince, we're now like. Um, six or so months into this into this story that really started with Future State but it's sort of now come backwards and we're getting magistrate stuff and I'm curious sort of how you feel that how you feel the story is going not just in like a macro sense but in a micro sense how do you think Batman the book month to month is going has it dropped off at all or is it still the quality that we were gushing about you know a few months ago um, I I think uh, <laughs> this is, comics are bad again, Brian. <laughs> um, no, no, it's not bad. Um, certainly not. It's it's a a very quality product. I mean, the art is great. It's still Jorge Jimenez, like at the height of his skills. You know, um, I think. Tynion has here is a strong base for a story, but I'm beginning to feel, and I feel like this uh, almost across the board with these Infinite Frontier titles now, <laughs> which it sucks to say that because just a month or two ago I was talking about how, wow, these books are all moving at such a such a great pace. This is like ideal for, for how comic storytelling should be. And now I feel like these books are just not getting to the point. And I would include Batman in that, too. Um, I feel like I have a list of notes here about about things that happened in this issue. And granted, you know, storytelling is not just about what happened. You know, it's right. it doesn't it's not it's not only important that a, an issue of a comic uh, moves the plot along every chance it gets. But in this list, I've got, you know, Oh, Miracle Molly pops up and gives some little uh, thing about letting your past go. There's a scene where Bruce is still under the fear toxin, and he's like telling himself, "Oh, this is none of this is real." We've I feel like we've gotten one of those scenes in every one of these issues, and none of them have added anything to the proceedings. You know, the like scenes of him tied up in that chair. What is spending like a page or two or three? on that each month actually adding to the story. You know what I mean? So much of this just feel, I I feel like I didn't learn anything about anyone in this, especially since a lot of the elements are future elements that we've seen in future state, like peacekeeper one, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the magistrate program. Like not only are we not learning new things about the current kind of, stew of characters we've got going on right now but 
it's also just lining things up for fu- for the future state stuff in a way that's not yet they still have time to do this but it's not yet subverting our expectations about it you know if we saw this stuff already there's nothing here that would make us think that there's going to be some kind of twist you know mm-hmm. um and so like did i have a bad time reading this comic no is it clearly a like well-made well-considered issue of a comic book yes but like man so many of these books all of a sudden feel like they've stopped dead in their tracks kind of it just doesn't have the same momentum that it had before um do you feel any of that or am i full of shit no i mean i i definitely feel that however i i sometimes wonder how much of that is on us as readers versus on the product we're reading like for instance I think that there are times that when a story is going well, we feel like we never want this arc to end. We never want this to to wrap up. We're really enjoying where we are right now. But I also think that there's a natural inclination for us to be ready to move on to the next thing once we get what it is the thing we're seeing is. For instance, (laughs) I, I write a column every month for Multiversity about the solicitations for... DC for the month and I saw that in August there's going to be a Midnighter annual that's going to finish up the storyline in the Action Comics backup and my initial first thought if I'm being totally honest was oh good this means they can start the next backup sooner that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I'm not enjoying it it just means that I know what it is now and I'm ready for something else right that's not great like that that's not great for me as a reader to feel that way how much of that is because of what I'm reading or how much of that is because of how I read, right? I, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, but so in a way, when we saw that this was all leading to an event called Fear State starting in August and running through the fall, I feel like I now know that nothing of note's going to happen in the Gotham books probably talked over. <laughs> because because right now they can't shake the status quo too much because they have to get to fear state and mm-hmm. the first month and a half of an event is always just like letting new people get in on the idea of the event before it really kicks in so oh, man. Th- that's kind of a bummer I will say this though I do like how the bat books continue to be really interconnected and I think that the stuff here with Harley was really good. I think Harley and Ghostmaker are fun together. And I think you learn actually more about Ghostmaker in this issue than you have in any of the backups so far, even though the backups are ostensibly about oh. that character. Oh, man. Don't even get me st- We'll get to the backup. Yeah, we'll get to the backup in a little while. Um, but I think that this is a good comic. I just don't know if I mean I, I think that one of the things that you say a lot is that we should just have like two to three issue arcs. Yes. <laughs> and 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 this definitely feels like and again it's like this is a note on Swamp Thing, but I'm going to mention it now. If you look at the Swamp Thing's sort of splash page <laughs> this month, it says it's part two of a story. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's part four of a story. Like, you're not you're right. not tricking us by making us think this is part two of a story. This is a ten issue limited series. There aren't multiple arcs within this limited series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the same thing has kind of been happening with some of these other books, where it's making you, it's trying to trick you into thinking that these are more self contained arcs, but but they're not. 
That said, like my favorite comics of all time are 50 plus issue sprawling opuses that all feel connected, but do have discernible starts and stops to their stories. Mm -hmm. And I feel like these, these issues have just have not been a, uh, they haven't been different enough to feel like actual arcs, but they also feel a little bit too connected I don't know. I, I don't know. What I'm, to, what I'm trying to say is just that this is dragging. You said, you know, you said it otherwise. So yes. Yeah. It's I know. I know exactly what you what you mean. Um, and I think like, yeah, I'm not putting it all on the creators because I guarantee you a, a good number of people are reading comics and they're thinking that, you know, they're reading these Batman comics and they're thinking, oh, I never want this to end or, oh, another great issue of Batman because because they like getting more of the same if it's good and it is good, you know, like, right. It's, it's high quality. Like I, I feel like, um, like, uh, you know, it's a first world problem for me to be complaining about this comic because <laughs> it's yes. really quite good. Um, but you know, in a macro sense, as somebody who reads, you know, <laughs> a thousand issues of comics every year, you know, if not more, um, like you just, you read so much that you start to notice these patterns that, that, or you start to know what a pattern of a comic book that you really like follows. And then you notice when other books don't sort of follow that same structure and pattern yes, from yes. like a, from like a craft perspective, you know? And so I realized like, my ideal, and this is going to be me sucking off Graham Morrison again, but, um, you know, their uh, Batman and Robin run, that is like, I realized that, and, and it has no, really nothing to do with the Grant Morrisonian aspect of it, of the writing and everything, but, but if I'm talking about the structure, the structure of how that comic was, how the story was doled out, they were like, three issue arcs, right? At least that's what my memory is telling me that they were like three little three issue arcs. I honestly can't remember exactly. So I don't want, I, I don't want to confirm or deny that because I just don't remember. I, <laughs> I could totally be making that up, but, but, but something about this, the storytelling in that comic was like, you know, these tight little arcs, of course, because it's Morrison, there's like this overarching meta narrative that runs through the whole thing, um, as there should be. But then there's these tight little arcs. But those tight little arcs are so packed with stuff. But then when they're done with that tight little arc, they move on. Like the de yes, there's the overarching narrative, but there are details that you don't revisit. Then I'm thinking of like the flamingo villain, you know? Sure. Um, or Professor Pig, like Professor Pig got this short little arc, and then I don't think Morrison really came back to Pig, at least not in any, like, significant way. Whereas I feel like, you know, first of all, I've talked enough on this show about how I'm out on the idea of the six-issue arc. Like, it, to me, it is almost never justified uh, in its content. Um <laughs> Can I ask a question? It's going to sound like I'm trolling you, but I swear yeah. to God I'm not. Yes. How do you feel about the 12-issue arc? Like it, <laughs> what I mean by that is this. I feel like the six-issue arc is usually an an elongated, like, 
for issue arc, right? But I feel like sometimes there are these big stories that obviously need more than six issues to tell. Do you have the same complaint at that point? Or once they're not writing for the trade and they're writing a bigger story, do some of your issues of the six issue arc go away? I think that's true. I think, yes, I think what you said is perfect. Like six issue arcs so often feel like three or four issue arcs extended, whereas 12 issue arcs or maxi series or whatever you want to call them, the Tom King thing, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I'm not a fan of Tom King, I feel like Tom King's 12 issue maxi series, if I, if I have anything nice to say about them in general, it's that, um, their, their structure really is based on like the famous 12 issue maxi series of the past, kind of like your Watchmen's your, uh, you know, um, believe the long Halloween was, uh, 12 issues. Um, but regardless, you know, these like meaty stories that I feel like, uh, they're not like four or six issue stories stretched out. They're 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 taking time to delve deeply into a specific concern or a specific subject. Um, so I think you're right. It is different. I really dislike the six issue arc, especially in the arena of an ongoing comic, where now you're spending six issues out of like you know twelve. 18 maybe that you get in a year Mm -hmm. you're spending it on this one uh, arc you know and there's a lot of characters in this uh comic but at this point like simon saint and scarecrow are your that's your villain you know right and i just think like this isn't about this book in particular but nothing makes me roll my eyes harder when like you re- you're reading a comic and you realize that it's a six issue arc and it's going to, this is like, this is a, and like two face or like Mr. Freeze is the villain. And you just know that you're going to be spending the next six months with Batman and Mr. Freeze. And that's about it. Right. <laughs> you know? And I just, you know, what Morrison does with those smaller, tighter arcs and then moving on while still building this like greater meta narrative that's the ideal for me. And, and not everybody's going to be as good as Morrison. And even Morrison is not as good as Morrison anymore because like their green lantern book fizzled out, but in the second season, um, but you know, that is the ideal structure for me. And, and it's getting to the point where anytime a book gets beyond that, it's pretty rare that, that, that I stay invested in it. And I can already see that happening (laughs) With Batman, I'm already ready for the next thing, you know? Yeah, I I don't disagree with any of that, really. I think I'm less down on this particular arc than you are, but I I understand what you're saying, and I I don't disagree. I So I, I've been doing my, my JSA read-throughs, and I'm about to hit, like, a pretty big arc where I want to say it's maybe close to 12, 12 or 15 issues over the course of, let's call it like eight or nine issues of the run and then lots of tie-ins. And I feel sometimes like those, I don't like to use the word ironically because it's not irony, but like coincidentally those big meaty things, you can even read those faster 
and enjoy them more because there's so much more going on in them that you get the idea of like we had a story for this much but it's growing beyond that we have to keep reading whereas sometimes this stuff just feels like it would be you know like it would be cooler if this was six issues right mm-hmm. like you know and so it just it just gets stretched out for for unknown reasons and i find that when i'm reading like if i'm catching up on a book and i hit one of those arcs by issue two, I know what I know what I'm in for for the rest of the arc, and then it's a slog to get through the end of the, that arc. Mm-hmm. It just becomes impossible to, to to get excited about reading it at all. It just it, yeah. it's it's so I I, I I don't feel that way about this arc yet, but I understand what you're saying. Well, and for me, for me, it was like a switch got flipped with this issue because I'm pretty sure I was pretty jazzed about the last issue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, except I think, I think that was the issue where we met Miracle Molly and I said like some of that dialogue was a little bs for me, but like, sure. but I was still, I was still vibing on this. And then, and now I feel like I hit a wall with this very issue just because I would, I would turn the page and then like, oh, it's, it's Simon Saint demonstrating his plan for the magistrate, which we already know. Oh, it's. This, the gardener character showing up and and saying something cryptic about poison ivy, which we already basically knew her deal, you know, and like, right. oh, Simon Saint unleashing Peacekeeper One finally, which we've already basically seen, and it just felt like this issue more than any other felt like okay, this is where they're stretching it for they're they're either playing for time because other things need to line up, which is another thing that like. I love when DC Comics does um, timed event style stuff where um, you read this book, then you go read this book, then you go read this book, and it doesn't it doesn't really work unless you're reading them in, in order or as they come out. But the caveat to that is that if it's not planned out and all of a sudden books appear to be like playing for time or like <laughs> waiting on certain things so that they line up with other like if you can see the seams, I don't, I start to not like it as much, you know? Yes. That's a, that's a delicate balance to strike, I think. And I'm being very like, I'm being very prissy about this. I realize, <laughs> believe me, I know how I sound, but like, ah, just, just hit the wall with this one. Sure. Real quickly. Let's, let's talk about the ghost maker backup. Well, I don't know if I can be quick about this. <laughs> What I'm gonna I say another, is just, I have another rant. It's it's all exposition for a character we're never gonna see again. Who gives yes! a shit? <laughs> That's it. Looks beautiful, but it's all exposition for it's all exp- exposition for a one-time character, and who gives a shit? Yes. Here here's the only thing I'll add to that. I'll try to be brief. I'll try to not Dennis Miller rant this. Um, <laughs> babe. Babe. <laughs> um, uh, in honor of Zach, this is I'm gonna I'm going to pull upon his massive brain right now and talk about how, you know, American comics should be more like manga. (laughs) If this were happening in like a chapter of one piece or something, Ghostmaker would get into the fight with this brainstorm character. The origin for brainstorm would maybe be two pages. If that, if you're lucky in a manga, you're going to get like the character spends one page just saying, 
I'm brainstorm. I'm blah, I blah, 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 blah. This is my motivation. And then, you know, ghost maker or whoever kicks their ass. Right. 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 In American comics. And I'm, I realize I'm like really generalizing here. Obviously there's manga that does this the way I like, I don't I, like. And I think you're going to say, I think you're going to say, I realize I'm doing a Yakov Smirnoff bit right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm trying to think of a funny like manga Yakov Shirinov joke. Yeah. Like the, in 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 American comics, uh... in, in manga in American comics, the devil fruit eats you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there like we go. That. Perfect. Whatever. Perfect. Whatever. Um, no, um, but but like I, I just feel like as I'm reading like DC or Marvel, way more often do I find myself getting wrapped up in this overlong backstory where they're clearly trying to get us to care about this character that we know is just going to be, uh, you know, wasted by the end of the arc. Um, and then what that, what happens then is the comic slows to a pace. That's not as good as it was before this happened. So like this backup was going along at a pretty nice pace. I think I talked in, in previous uh, installments about how um, kind of jaunty it was and how it kind of made me like the Ghostmaker character more mm-hmm. and how ridiculous it was to like land on this island and fight like Mega Man tiger robots and, and stuff like that. And then just the obsession with exposition and a backstory that takes up literally the entire chapter pretty much um, just grinds it to a halt. Yeah. And I feel like that's something we run into way too much. I, I will, I will say this and this will be our last word on this. Maybe uh, unless you have something to add to this, but oh, I'm good. One of the things that we had dinged um, your friend of mine, James Tynan, the fourth over in the past was having just too much, too much exposition at times, and I feel like his Batman run has really fixed that problem in his writing. But this, yeah. this felt like the lowest dregs of Justice League Dark Tynion. Yeah, the where Witching he, Hour stuff. Where yes, like, yes, where like he has a good idea, but he's so obsessed with making sure you understand every fucking minutia, tiniest element you know, down to the atom of it that you lose the storytelling because you're so focused on just getting this info dump there. And that's what this issue felt like to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait, can I say one more thing? <laughs> yes, just you may. Sp- sp- springboarding off of what you just said. Sure. It again reminds me of like Morrison where like, uh, so in, in final crisis, people talk about super young team to this day, right? People yes. talk fondly of those characters we recently read that event. How much do you really learn about Super Young Team in that event? <laughs> Almost nothing. Almost nothing. Yeah, they're cool designs. The concept is cool. You don't spend all that much time with them, and you learn almost nothing about their backstories. And those characters will be remembered far longer than this Brainstorm character will. So the thing that I liked about those first couple installments of the Ghostmaker backup is that there was this weird kind of quasi-suicide squad team that had, like, the Kid Kawaii and this Brainstorm character and a couple others. All great character designs, 
funny names, interesting concepts. If you never said another thing about who they are, that's all you need. It's Absolutely. it's the super it's the super young team thing. Like it you you understand the concept and that concept is going to carry it you know for whatever part of the story it like for whatever role they play in Final Crisis, all you need to know is the concept and that carries them. Same with this. Nothing I'm never going to remember what Brainstorm's backstory is, but I might remember that there was this kind of fun kind of funny little team that Ghostmaker had to fight against right. and that's all you need. Anyway, well so said. I, I yeah, well I, mean, said, I don't know friend. if it, I don't know if it was, but it was. Um <laughs> Now, here's a book I think we're going to have almost nothing to say about, and that's Crime Syndicate number four, written by Eddie Schmidt, illustrated by Kieran McEwen. I (laughs) I hate to be so dismissive. I'm just over this. Yeah, this fell off. Uh. (laughs) I will say, like, you know, the Sinestro stuff, we've seen it before, but I, I like Sinestro as a character, so seeing him play a more important role is is fine. The um the Legion of Justice reveal at the end made me smile half a smile, but I have nothing really to say about this book. Yeah, I mean that's a cheap trick that that'll get the DC three uh, clapping every time, but uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> too too little, too late. Um, I do think I I do think those first two issues were 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 kind of fun. I think like. It's just it's overstaying its welcome at this point. Um, I don't think the you know something I've said in the past is that like when you have a story like this that's kind of piffle or like a one note joke, you at least hope that the art is really good. And you know nothing against um, what is Kieran, it, Kieran? Kieran Mc, yeah, well, the art's perfectly fine, but it's not something that you're. It's it's not what you're paying the admission price for, you know. Correct. Um, yeah, there's no there's nothing wrong with it. It's 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 playful, but it's not something you're seeking out. Um, something that started to bug me with this issue, and this is this is some this is some comic book Reddit shit that normally I don't <laughs> normally I don't get hung up on, but not you enough know, feet. <laughs> If this is a uh, reimagining of Earth Three, like going forward, I guess I kind of wish that they would have played it a little bit more closely to the way that Earth Three was. And and what I mean is like, um, like I just lost my train of thought. Hang on. Oh, Alexander Luther, right? His costume, I love the Alexander Luther Earth Three costume from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. It's so wacky, it's so bonkers. The colors are like the complete opposite of what the Lex Luthor power suit usually looks like. Right. It looks like it comes from another world, right? Like, it looks like the the contrabulous fabtraption of Professor Horatio Huffnagel. <laughs> Right? I'm, I'm very impressed you got that out all in one. Good for you, man. Good for you. <laughs> and Christmas Ape. Um, <laughs> and Christmas Ape goes to summer camp. Yeah. <laughs> Let's save Tony Orlando's house. Um, 
no, but I miss that so much. And then in this, the Alexander Luther just wears like an alternate version of the Lex Luthor green and purple power suit yeah. that we're used to. And it's little details like that that I think like you really could have set this apart and 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 made it something different or special. Instead, it just feels like another Elseworlds, and we've we've gotten a lot of Elseworlds lately. Um, Injustice, deceased, you know, stuff like that. Like, doesn't feel all that different. I, I think they should have um, gone a little bit weirder for this. You know, I'm gonna piggyback off that for one second. I feel like the difference between this and Injustice should have been that. Injustice and deceased and all that. We don't really know, and this is so fucking pedantic. I'm just warning everyone out there: the, the, the pedant has arrived. We don't know what Earth that takes place on, and that may not take place within like the multiverse of the DC universe, right? Like, there are some stories that take place within the multiverse, and there's some stories that just like are are don't. I don't know how else to say that, but. This is like the first opportunity post-Death Metal to set a series on a numbered Earth where there's the expectation that when this series ends, we will eventually get back to these characters at some point. And so you're, you're planting a flag into a world that's going to be revisited. Make it interesting. Make yeah. it bold. You know? And it, I, I just feel like they didn't do that here. All right. Let's move on. We have a, a number one, uh, first of eight issues for a, a miniseries called Crush and Lobo. This is written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Amon K. Noel Hub... Nahuel Pond. I practiced that three times. I cannot pronounce names. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. I'm a dumb Fab American. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I know that... Um, both of us, I think, I would say, are bigger fans of Crush than we thought we'd be when the character was introduced. That is for sure. Um, and so I'm really interested to see what my friend Vince thought of this first issue. I'm an even bigger fan now, if you can this believe it. This, <laughs> this is really is good. Really good. This yeah. is really good. Um, I think this might be my favorite. We'll, we'll figure it out as we, as we go over each issue, but this may be my favorite issue of the week. Oh, it's um, definitely mine. Is it? Okay, yeah. Um, this is some good Tamaki. Tamaki's almost always good, if you ask me. Um, but, like, the thing that I like the most about Tamaki's work is that um, she finds ways to write about concepts that, like you said, I wouldn't necessarily think are for me or that I would like all that much. And finds ways into them that that are gripping and um, get me in surprisingly invested. And she really did that here. Um, and uh, we'll get more into it. But I also want to mention that that Amonke's art had uh, there's a glow up too because um, we've seen their work oh across a number of things post rebirth. I think fill ins here and there. Mm -hmm. Maybe a mini series here and there. Um, yeah, wasn't there a Steve Orlando mini series? It was the Gotham City Monsters one. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I think I, I think I have that right. Um, but 
best work I've seen from them, I think, yet. Um, Just very playful, very expressive. Um, You think of... You think of Crush as a character who is, you know, aping Lobo, obviously, but but also just this, like, um, kind of hard-nosed, outcast, uh, angsty teen character. And there's a lot of that in here, but there's surprising depth, I think, emotionally with the character, even though Crush tries to have this, like, cold exterior, a lot of vulnerability comes through, and I think a lot of that's due to the art. Um, I mean, the writing's really good too for that, but, but the art really, really gets that across too as well, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you talked for a little while. Uh, what, what did, what did, what did you like so much about this? So there were a couple of things I really enjoyed here. First of all, I, I like the idea of, (laughs) of Crush just being like, I was afraid when we find out that Crush has a girlfriend and we're going to be meeting the girlfriend and, like, their friends and family, that every conversation was going to be like, so you're an alien, huh? And just, like, <laughs> this, like, fish out of water thing. And yeah. everybody's like, oh, you're Trish. It's like, no, it's Crush. But, you know, like, but just, like, everybody was just, like, very, it, it wasn't a big deal that Crush was, uh, was an alien. And I feel like that, I, I don't know why that was such a relief to me. But it was. It just it just let the story progress at its own pace instead of having to pause every two minutes for like a reset about who this character is. Well, I think it's because you've seen that story so many times before, you know. Yes. yes. I think it's been it's been done to death, and you could, you know, if the story chose to go that way, you could imagine how much time it would take up uh, yes. doing something you've already seen before. Yes. So I appreciated that that wasn't a piece of it. This is going to sound really um, unusual or whatever, but I really enjoyed the way that Katie, uh, Crush's girlfriend, was visually pro- uh, imagined on the on the page. I feel like she looks very much like a normal high school kid. Like, I feel like sometimes every teenager we see is, like, stick thin and you know, gorgeous and, you know, probably anatomically uh, <laughs> impossibly created and just everyone looks like a supermodel. And Katie looked like a regular high school student and I really love the fact that Crush is this, you know, this, uh, you know, one of the last two of her species of man-killing aliens. And she's just Rockabilly aliens. Yeah, rockabilly <laughs> aliens. And she's just dating like a normal person uh, who is normal-sized, who's not like skinny and big tits and big ass and just like look at me everything was just like it was just a really really normal down to earth girl and i feel like that's the perfect way that crush should that's the perfect person crush should be in a relationship with i really enjoyed that um visually and overall i feel like you know crush (laughs) crush essentially knocked over the punch bowl at the party, except that she almost killed everybody in the process of doing it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I like that it was a relatively uh, simple premise that was blown up to comic book extremes. Like, that's one of the things that comics can do so well. Like, you know, um, 
not to get all Stan Lee and Mallrats here, but like each like a lot of the comic characters we know and love, they face situations that are like ours, but blown up to the extreme. And when comics are really good, you can read a Spider-Man story or a Batman story and see yourself in there, even though you've never been a vigilante or had uh, web shooters, right? Like, and I feel like this does a really good job of presenting a situation that all of us can relate to, but doing it in a way that still makes it fun and super heroic. Yeah, but is the thing's dork made of orange rock like the rest of his body? <laughs> Your friend has an obsession with superhero sex organs. <laughs> no, that was that was really well said, Brian. I think I think yeah, that's um, all that stuff. I I really appreciated that too. Um, I appreciated that. Um, the acceptance part of this, because again, we've seen this story so many times. Um, the acceptance part was not like Katie's family and friends not able to accept Crush, but it was Crush not knowing how to open up or not knowing how to be accepted, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is that's a. Um, that's an aspect of an angsty character that gives them uh, layers, you know, that you don't often see, I think. Um, even if that's there, it's not usually explored in, in a, as sensitive a way as they do in this comic. And I liked, you know, uh, Red Arrow showing up to Crush's apartment later to, to talk about it. And, and I thought that scene was really heartwarming and f- realistic. Like, it felt like it was very realistically written from a dialogue perspective yes um there are a couple really great lines in this comic too that i want to mention before uh before i'm done talking about it but uh there's one where like uh crush's phone phone goes off and it's a custom ringtone of her favorite scream (laughs) yes which is a great line and then there's one later uh Crush has all these travel mugs in her apartment, and that's a great that's a great detail too. That's a really nice character detail. Um, and uh, Emiko says, you know, or asks, how many travel mugs do you have? And she says thirty one, but then in the narration box it says forty five. Right. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, all of this was really playful and fun and. I I have I had no issue with with any part of this. The art, like you said, was really good. I thought that, you know, it, it also I I will freely admit my enjoyment of this comic will likely go down as the Lobo content goes up <laughs> and the Crush content goes down. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I I really enjoyed how Lobo was uh, visually portrayed here. I feel like he almost has like the Cheshire Cat smile. You know, in that in that last sequence with him, and it was just it was overall a, a very enjoyable comic, and I I very much look forward to seeing where this is going. I also what I like about this is that it doesn't pretend she wasn't part of Teen Titans, but you also didn't have to be reading Teen Titans Academy to, to understand this. I like that Red Arrow shows up, so it still has that tether to that book because I feel like Crush is probably at the end of this going to go back to the Teen Titans. Um, and so I like that it gives like a, a very easy pathway to and from it, it the team. So I enjoy that quite a bit. 
Um, let's yeah. talk about one more book before we go. No, you know what? I think I think this is a good place for a break. Let's take a break now. When we return, we'll talk about Green Lantern, Justice League, Suicide Squad, and the Swamp Thing. Hello, denizens of Earth-1218. We are the hosts of Make Mind Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster One. And I'm Elias, the Bendis One. Make Mind Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent-ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series, past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior, indeed. And we are back to talk about Green Lantern number three. You wanted to call this series The Green Lantern again, but it's (sighs) not. That series is thankfully over. Um, But let's talk about this issue written by Jeffrey Thorne, illustrated by uh, a combination of Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. I'm just going to come right out and say this. I did not like the first half of this issue at all, and I can pinpoint 80% of that onto Tom Rainey's art. I don't like to be that guy, but this felt a lot like the Future State uh, issues that Rainey illustrated, and I really don't jive with this artwork with these characters. It... I, I really, really, truly did not like the first half of the, un, until we get to Oa with with Joe, who we learned that Joe is short for Sojourn. I don't believe we knew that before, did we? We did know that. Yeah, oh, we did. Okay, I, I just forgot that. That was yeah. That was. I mean, it's in it's in Far Sector, but also like it was in the material when she was first introduced, like okay. the press material. Yeah, I had forgotten that then. Um, yeah. But until we got to Oa, I really did not care for this at all. What did you think? Uh, me either. Um, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put some of that on Tom Rainey, but I also think like, first of all, it is, it is clearly headed to the future state stuff. Um, when John wakes up on that planet, and he's costumeless and his ring shorts out, it's very much the same vibes as the the future state stuff where he's like the resistance leader guy with the sword or whatever got guns and swords or whatever versus a versus a lantern ring so there's that but then i also think like the storytelling was just confusing a little bit uh, both visually and uh kind of in the script like like i it's not that i didn't know what was happening but i never had any idea why i don't think (laughs) like it opens on this scene where um john stewart is in this high school classroom and actually this scene is kind of it was kind of fun i was kind of into it oh i I, I thought it was funny because like you know john stewart being in a high school classroom with guy gardner and kilowog like you it's impossible could have never happened and I thought it was kind of funny and silly in that way, mm-hmm. but it goes on for too long, and it does. There's not really a. There's, it's very confusing in the way it's presented, and because then it goes, then it goes to this 
Green Lantern stuff when they're preparing to go map the the dark sector or whatever. Then it goes back to another dream scape with John. And then it goes then then you wake up and you find out what's been going on and it's just it's just very it's not satisfying in the way that it flows through this stuff. And I also again like if this if this story is ending up with uh, John Stewart being ringless, I, that's just not an interesting. That's not an interesting status quo for a Green Lantern comic for me. And I'm hoping that that's a very temporary thing that's resolved, as the backup kind of alludes to. But I cannot tell you how little I care about what goes on with these characters when they're ringless. <laughs> Just because I think like, like their identities as like a, a, a ring core, a, a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, whatever you want to say, all of that stuff, the way that the Green Lantern core plays with one another, that's all the good stuff about Green Lantern to me. It's not necessarily Jon Stewart or Hal Jordan or Kyle in isolation um and certainly not powerless and untethered from whatever the core concept of green lantern is already right you know um so yes you're right uh was not into the first half of this the second half though well first of all let's establish that we had hoped that uh simon baz was not dead and he's not, so that's good. Yeah. Um, I really like the relationship that's building between Simon and uh, Kelly, Teen Lantern. I think that Joe is a really interesting person to be the sort of co-lead of this book right now because we know so little about her in the context of the greater Green Lantern core. You know, we know her in Far Sector, but that, that feels very removed from this. Mm. And so... I, I really appreciate what is happening in this book right now. I, I, I think it's been it, rather in this half of the book. I feel like it especially lands really well because of how poor I felt the first half of the book was. So this just felt like a really lovely in, inhalation of breath after the not so enjoyable first half. Um, I, I just hope that this isn't going to be how the book is from now on. Because if that's how it is, I'm just going to start skipping the first half of the book. <laughs> Anything yeah, else to I, say? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I just love the pacing of the second half of the book is so good. Like, uh, man, it, 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 it honestly whips. Like, the second half is worth the price of admission, even if you got the drag of a first half with it. Like, I, I can't overstate how good the second half is like joe comes in she's a boss you know um this like council that she's working with with some dominators and some other aliens is is kind of a fun concept um you get to see i think you see like you, you get to check in with some of the other lantern characters and what they're up to um, you get to see like a Sinestro Corps member, I think. You get to see a uh, um, Arizia, I believe, 
is in one of these panels like floating through space and so like it's checking in on the the greater lore here and that's the stuff that that's the familiar stuff that I love about Green Lantern and it's it, that appears to be all here while John's off doing whatever he's doing um and so this book is this half of the book is keeping up the pace that those first two issues gave us and uh yeah I I'm really hoping they spend considerably more time with these with this side of things than with the more future state adjacent stuff, because um, this stuff's just working on all levels for me. The one thing I, I wanted to mention before we finish up with this one is I like how, you know, the power battery getting blown up or whatever and killing all the rings is a plot point, but you've got, you've got Joe whose ring still works because the guardians, uh, intentionally made it differently which is a plot let's just point that out right now i love that i don't care about how it's done (laughs) oh yeah don't don't spend 10 issues explaining that to us it's different cool i understand that (laughs) and that's from far sector so like that again that's a like a a a part where where the dc lore lines up here that's kind of cool um the gauntlet that kelly uses again it's different so it appears to be working right Right. Um, And and then I love that Simon has this like liquid metal cybernetic arm, which effectively works the same way as a green as a lantern ring does. Probably not as all encompassing. Like he can't he can't imagine anything and create it, but he can turn it into different things. You know. So I love that there's a way to get the Green Lantern concept still out there with this specific group of characters, even if you're going to have a status quo where the rings are all dying. Um, and then interestingly, we see, you know, I assume that's Hal on the last page. I assume so as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and his ring appears to still be working as well. So, um, yeah, very, very interested in this half of things. Grateful that grateful that this half of the comic exists, frankly, because if it was all, the uh, future state lead up stuff, I would be off of this book so quickly. Agreed. <laughs> All right, let's move over to Justice League number 62, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by David Marquez. Um, I really enjoyed the Hippolyta Flash stuff in this issue. I think Bendis is continuing to surprise me with how well he is writing the inter-team dynamics of these characters. It's Bendisy, but it's just Bendisy enough to not be offensive. Um, that's kind of all I have to say about this issue. There was a lot of double-page spreads with action that looked beautiful because Marquez is doing really, really nice work here. But there's just... I don't, I don't have a ton of stuff to say about this aside from Hippolyta sort of being a fish out of water here is an interesting play because for so long Wonder Woman has been like the rock of the Justice League. So to have her stand in be this unsure of herself character, not not that she's like a, a, a wallflower or anything, but just someone who doesn't quite know where she fits in. I thought all that was handled pretty well. What did you think of this issue? Yeah, that's kind of the only stuff in the issue that I really liked. Um, the, the Hippolyta stuff, the Flash stuff, the two of them interacting. It it, it felt very uh, warm and realistic. Um, 
and then you know we get to the we get to the action stuff with again this just dreadful villain and then Zambato who's not a great villain either when's the nope. last time Be- when's the last time Bendis created a great villain um oh god I wish I had the name of a terrible artist that he launched his career um, <laughs> for, but no, I, I don't think Bendis has ever done a great villain. Yeah, I, that wasn't already established anyway. Yeah, exactly. Bendis is Bendis can oftentimes find an interesting way into a character easier than he can create a new character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's true. Um, and unfortunately, we are at the designated action set piece part of the presumably six issue arc. And right. so, um, yeah, not only do I not have a lot to say, but it's easily the least interesting thing about this book. And and now it's taking up most of the page space. So it's the Batman thing to me, like. Technically, it's a it's a quality, well made comic. It looks great. Um, I I hit a wall with this one, and didn't didn't enjoy reading it that much. Yeah, like Batman, I, I did not hit as hard of a wall here as you did, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Mm. Um, but let's let's move over to Justice League Dark by Rom V and Zermanico. I enjoyed this more than I did last chapter of Jail Dark. I liked the the potential of bringing Atlantis into this. I always find Atlantis is like this gigantic place in the DC universe that 90% of the characters just ignore most of the time. So I enjoyed that aspect and I I liked it, it was it was a weird bit where they're in the <laughs> library and Ragman is reading Rom V's notes on Justice League Dark. Um, I love that. But I, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't know if we're supposed to read anything into that other than just this is funny. But I enjoyed I think it. I think it's just – I think it's Rom V saying, I can't believe I'm getting away with doing the author insert thing. Right, yeah. I think that's all we were supposed to take from it. Yeah. Um, but it was it – was, that part was fun. I got a kick out of that. I love – I'm so glad that – like somebody at DC okayed that. Yep. Because <laughs> I could easily see them saying, "Nah, nah, you got to make it something else." And, um, yeah, it's that's very funny. And <laughs> actually, Ragman's like face while he's reading that is kind of funny too. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, yeah, that yeah, that was a good bit. Yeah, this 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 backup is um, it's pretty it's 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 pretty entertaining. It certainly didn't feel like as much of a uh, placeholder as the last last issue did mm-hmm. um yeah but i don't have too much to say about it yeah same I... it looks nice Zermanico's art is very nice some of these like the way the pages are structured there's the one where like there's the massive wall of books that they're messing with through magic and uh I just like the way that the characters are arranged on that page. And then on the next page you see um, Merlin, uh, you know, descending on Atlantis and you see the massive uh, structures before him. It's just, it's very like, 
I don't know what the word is for it, but it's, it's very like cinematic or something or very epic in scope. And, and Zermanico captures that pretty well for, for what could easily be like a disposable backup in a, in a justice league book. Yes. Um, I, I'll also note that I, I found the, the gimmick of like, let's rewrite all the books to get the librarian or whatever, whoever that is out was both a fun thing. And also I thought Zermanico illustrated that part in a way that made it really easy to, um, I just feel like that could have been a pretty boring thing to try to put on the page and he managed to make it really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed that. Um, all right, well, let's let's get off of the Justice League train then and let's hop over to Suicide Squad number four, written by Robbie Thompson and illustrated by Eduardo Pensica. I'm going to guess, Vinci, that you did not care for this issue. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 boy, I really don't care for this Suicide Squad, I think, um, and I don't. I'm not sure why I'm surprised because, like, every, every time they try to relaunch, the Tom Taylor's the only one that that really hit for me. Every other time, it's like, oh, I just don't like this. I don't like this concept. Um, I will say though, Red X kind of dominated the the page count here, mm-hmm. and I like that character. Uh, I don't like any of the other characters in this book. <laughs> not even this version of Connor Kent. Um, who sucks. Um, <laughs> I don't need to see Peacemaker as much as I'm seeing Peacemaker these days. Uh, He's like, so hot my right god. now. Oh, God. They're, I've never seen anyone force anything harder than Peacemaker. Like, <laughs> did people, did people, like, hear that John Cena was going to be Peacemaker and, like, the buzz is really that, yes. really that high? Or yes. is it really? It or is, is it? Or is it DC just forcing it? I mean, I, I don't think DC is not forcing it, but I mean, I can tell you, like, you know, my wife, um, she, when she saw that that John Cena was going to be in the Suicide Squad, she wasn't like, "Oh, I want to go see that movie." She was like, "Oh, wow, John Cena did that movie. That's really interesting. That might be because she likes John Cena. She's like, maybe maybe that would maybe I want to see that movie now. I feel huh. like people really like John Cena." He's a likable guy, but man, okay, all right. Yeah. I guess, I guess. Look, I'll I, give it. I'll give it to you. It's it's not necessarily how I would approach things uh, if I were running DC, uh-huh. um, but you know, I I understand. I, I well, let me, let me back up for a second here. I really enjoyed this issue. I oh. did. I thought this issue was very good. For for what it was, I think that this is the best issue of this run so far, in part because Red X is a lot of heavy lifting here, and I'm intrigued by the Red X character more so now than I was in Teen Titans Academy. And look, I, I, I still think Teen Titans Academy is excellent, but there's something about this portrayal of him that I found just more interesting and, and, and it really grabbed me. I liked the way that he interacted with Talon, how he knew Talon was was full of shit with his who, you know, routine. Mm-hmm. I liked the way that, first of all, I also found it interesting that Red X is described as a Batman-level intellect. And I wonder, yes. I wonder to, if that's a clue. We need to talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I just thought that, so I thought that was all good. 
I think that Peacemaker's a pretty dumb character in this, but I will say that it's nice to have somebody that isn't Rick Flagg arguing with Waller all the time. Um, but generally, I just think that the Red X stuff really elevated this issue, and it also made that crossover with Teen Titans Academy, which seemed pointless, it kind of gave it it gave it some meaning, right? It gave it some some reason to exist, and so I appreciated that. Um, but that's that that's kind of all I got. You want to talk about Red X and his Batman level intellect? Yeah, I'm just I can't believe how much I care and I'm intrigued by who this guy is. Um, I <laughs> I I think a couple months ago, as a joke. I said that it was uh, that Red X is going to be literally the animated series version of Dick Grayson, um, <laughs> be- because that was who Red X was on the on the animated series. Right. Now I kind of now I kind of believe that. <laughs> I kind of believe it is a version of Dick. Um, Do you know who who I think? I so if I were to place a bet on this, I don't want it to be this character, but I kind of think it's Tim Drake. Okay, because Tim that would explain why he cares about Connor, uh huh. How he knows Talon, uh huh. And Tim Drake is considered the best detective in the DC universe, uh huh. So a Batman level intellect to me is Tim Drake. Yes, I'm surprised his name doesn't come up more. I guess maybe because we've seen him as Robin in these books as well. Right. Um, yeah, you I'm, you could be right. I but, mean, mine, I don't think mine has a very good chance of being correct, but I think, like, I just considered Tim Drake off the table because, because he has been Robin. Like, we've seen him in... Uh, something recently as Robin. Right, right. Um, who knows? Yeah. Who can tell? Um, <laughs> who can say? But, you know, I, I, I will say that I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's, um, if there is going to be more sort of multiversal madness to this. So I don't know if it's going to necessarily be like, if you're going to say, like, all right, well, now that we have, you know, now that the multiverse is back, we're establishing that, you know, the um, the Young Justice universe or whatever it is, is Earth 2413. And, like, that is where this Tim Drake is from, uh, this, this Dick Grayson's from. But I could see it being an alternate universe Dick Grayson, especially because we have seen already this book play with the multiverse a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move over to our uh, final book of the week, The Swamp Thing, number four, written by Rom V, illustrated by Mike Perkins. Um, so I, I will say I have been really high on this book, and while I still enjoyed this issue, I thought this is the issue that maybe dragged the most of the four yet but I still like what it's doing here I think that establishing 
the green as like a giant memory and that's how Alec Holland is here. I, I thought all of that was handled pretty well. I was pleasantly surprised by how little we had to deal with non-green business here. But it looks like next month we're going to be back to you know, the outside world a little bit more. What did you think of this? Yeah, I, I think I hit a wall with this one too. Um, I think this book is not, – not that the art is not good, but it's starting to do less of the kind of showy um, – anatomy lesson style uh artistic stuff and you know if it does less of that it's a little bit it's a little bit more boring than it has been um i feel like i'm not really sure what was accomplished with these characters with the with the jennifer character and uh the levi swamp thing character like as far as like jason woodrue the the Floronic man was her guide through these things. And Alec Holland was Levi's guide, but I didn't get a great sense of any character growth from having been with these two characters. Really. It felt just more like exposition to me. Um, and then you get the, <laughs> the big, uh, turd sandwich with my name on it at the end, revealing that this is headed for a, Suicide Squad crossover. So I got to look at Peacemaker another time. And, uh, man, you, you would not believe how hard I was frowning when when I saw that. Um, I, so, yeah. I, 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 I will I, say this about that, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This book has kind of felt like it's on an island within Infinite Frontier. And this sort of connects it back to the to the uh to the main you know infinite frontier stuff a little bit right i don't i, I don't, don't need love that <laughs> I, I don't love it but i'm just saying it just you know you know it i guess that's I, there that's all i don't need i don't need peacemaker in this book going uh hey look i'm john cena over <laughs> here i'm really surprised that you made that comment because as you know you can't see him <laughs> we so. are, we're contractually required to make that joke every per episode single now. time every single time um do you want to before we get out of here do you want to talk about the nice house on the last house on the left of the lake or whatever it is <laughs> uh so i i will just say i i had i had a little bit of extra time today and so i read that the first issue of james tynan and uh alvaro martinez buenos the nice house in the lake and once you get about five to ten pages in it becomes pretty clear sort of what the book is going to be but i still thought it was handled pretty well it's a really fun almost silly premise a really dark one but really fun and um the artwork is just absolutely gorgeous so while we're not gonna be talking about that book on the podcast i would recommend anyone pick it up if if you're a fan of horror stuff and if you've liked what tynan's done in the past i would definitely uh, suggest checking it out. Did that give you enough time to look up next week's books? I got them up, you bastard. There we go. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, Batman the Detective number three. We've got Batman Urban Legends number four. We've got the DC Pride book um, coming out this week. We've got Detective Comics 1037. We've got uh, Future State Gotham number two. 
We've got Justice League Last Ride number two. I don't know. Are we going to cover that book no. regularly? Or are we? No, no, we are okay. not. I know we did the first issue, but um, we've got the Joker number four. We've got Wonder Woman 773. And I did want to throw out that this is the the week for the last issue of Far Sector, Far Sector number 12. Uh, I have been keeping up with that. I, Brian, I'm not going to ask you to, to get caught up and talk about that on the show, but if it's all right with you, I may, if I get time to read it and I'm not, um, rushing to finish all the other stuff that we're actually covering on the show, I may read that and talk about that. If you, sure. if you don't mind giving me would, the floor for a bit, I would encourage it. Yeah. Cause that's a big, that's a big one. Um, that was a good series and, uh, I don't know how it ends yet, but, uh, it's probably worth talking even though it's not part of infinite frontier and so we are not regularly covering it on the show but uh yeah yeah i i i strongly encourage you to do that um cool yeah so uh thank you folks for listening uh remember to be tweeting at wilker fox when he gets back in anticipation of him just saying this isn't manga over and over again um i am at brian needs an app if you need vince you can find him um you know, he's been talking a lot about how he doesn't like Peacemaker in this, and that's just to distract you from the fact that he is actually back on Twitter. He is running a John Cena fan account on Twitter now, and so go there for all sorts of pictures of his abs and um, his subpar wrestling and his fine acting. It's private, though, so you can't see it without well, an invite. Of course. Of course. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll return next week. Take care. Sure, that makes sense to me, the person with a peanut brain. <laughs>